Today, we're going to talk about the inescapable requirement of offering family health benefits. More than a third of women considered quitting their job in the last 12 months, citing burnout from the pressures of family life, according to survey by recruitment site Indeed in 2022. But there is no question women are needed in the workplace and employers are taking notice. And so are our legislators who are enacting new laws to protect women and their families. But to truly support working women and for employers to stand out in this competitive hiring market, it's going to take more than providing what the law requires. And that's why we've turned to Kate Mazzotti, Chief People Officer at Maven Clinic. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, outperformance coach and author of Winning the Talent Shift. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. Kate, welcome to Voices of HR. Hi, Berta. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is certainly a pleasure, and I am so eager for this conversation because today we're going to talk a lot about trends and research that's really going to help our HR practitioners really plan for the future and really kind of test and gauge where their family benefits are today. Because one of the current realities is that women with children under the age of five are the least represented group in the workforce today. In fact, I saw that men with children under five have 39% more representation than women. But when we look at the trends, what's coming, more women are graduating college than men. I think it's 1.5 times the amount. And more women, Black women, are graduating than ever before. So when you think about what this means to the workplace, we have this whole new generation of women who are now just going to enter our workforces, or we have women with young children who have chosen to stay at home who may re-enter the workforce here in the next two to five years. And your organization just released a report out on the state of employer family health benefits. And in that report, you talked to nearly 600 HR benefit decision makers, as well as 1,100 employees um, who have family benefits offered by their employers. So this is why I'm so excited to talk to you today, because this research is really going to help our HR practitioners gauge where they're at with their family health benefits and maybe where their gaps are. So can you help, can you share with us, what are some of the key takeaways that our listeners should know about from the report that will either help them reconfirm their family benefits or maybe help them identify their gaps? Sure. And I'm speaking as a mother with two children under five, but I will put that aside to answer your question. Uh, firsthand knowledge. Um, but, you know, I think what the report really shows is that despite tightening budgets, employers are recognizing that family benefits are key for both talent attraction mm-hmm. and for retention. And so, you know, the, one of the key stats is that 63% of employers say that they're planning to increase their family benefits investments in the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. And that's even in, you know, these the tightening economy and macro environment where lots of budgets are being cut. Companies that do not offer comprehensive benefits that are equitable based on kind of family packaging may risk losing employees over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the couple of other key stats that I like to call out or that the report said that 87% of all employers say that family benefits are extremely important to both prospective and current employees. Um, 
And that employees are considering leaving their job if they are at an employer that has inadequate family benefits. Oh, and interesting. Yeah. And then finally, 64% of employees have missed work over the past year because there are needs that they take care of for both themselves and for their family. And so these are you know, real issues that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, 87%? I mean, right. Right. that's a large majority. It's a majority. When you yeah. talk st- statistics, absolutely. Right. So for women who are thinking of having children someday, or maybe some that are in the workforce, maybe sooner rather than later, Roe versus Wade had an impact on them. I have a college-age daughter at home, and we had so many conversations about it, and she's just now getting ready to enter the workforce. That had to have created a revisit of reproductive benefits for some employers, or did it? Uh, absolutely. The overturn of Roe v. Wade had a broad reaching implications for employees um, and employers have had to respond. So, you know, from an employee perspective, their access to care and for some, it really has affected their well-being and then their productivity at work. Mm-hmm. And to better support employees and help them navigate through these restrictions, the report has found that 71% of companies are adding or planning to add benefits or policies to accommodate reproductive health needs. HR teams are seeing the specific effects that this Supreme Court decision has had on their employees. Mm-hmm. The most common concern is around family planning. And this decision has factored into employees' plans for starting or raising their families, um, for moving or or moving frozen embryos or stored embryos to different states, and even delaying family planning altogether, you'll see that employees are feeling anxious and honestly is impacting their productivity. And for some employees, it's even helping them consider whether or not they should change jobs because of reproductive health benefits. Hmm. That is so interesting. So it is having an enormous impact on the workforce, uh, particularly with women. So I love that your survey focused on obtaining the voice of the employee, because I think sometimes it's easy for any of us in any type of leadership position to assume what we think we know, but until you actually ask the employee, you really don't know. So you looked at both sides. So you looked at, you asked the employer, you gave us some really compelling stats there, What about the employee? Where are they feeling that there's a gap today? I mean, clearly they're they're saying, if you don't have it, I'm going to go find an employer who does. What specifically were they looking for? Right. So though employers recognize the importance of offering family health benefits, there are still gaps in what the employees need and what they're being offered. And in fact, 41% of employees feel that their employer could better support their family and reproductive health needs. And mm-hmm. so there's a couple of key things that employees are reporting would be kind of their top priorities. The first is paid parental leave and care leave. Mm-hmm. This is offered by 71% of the companies in our report, but there's you know, still additional uh, requirements there that employees are looking for. Uh, The second was caregiver support, and uh, Mm. that is being offered by many companies by about 41%, but that's something that they really want to see more of. Um, The third is fertility and family building support. And then the fourth is reproductive health support, including menopause, and that's offered by only 40% of companies. So sometimes our even small to mid-sized companies are global. And did you have a chance to take a look at global parity? 
because we were just talking to um, someone who I think is going to be a guest from Ireland the other day, and she was talking about, you know, global benefits. Did you guys, you know, take a look at global parity? Yes, absolutely. So global parity for family health benefits is a top priority, and global companies are focused on finding benefits for employees around the world. So 91% of companies with a global workforce say that family benefits are extremely important to both prospective and current employees. And I think the key here is that companies should structure their benefits to provide equitable support for all employees while understanding that there's a lot of different regulations at the local level. Mm. And that means you have to get creative with how you administer benefits. For example, in some countries that can limit access to assisted reproductive technology or use of a surrogate, for example, companies can offer other things like travel reimbursements or paid time off to allow employees to seek cross-border care in a less restrictive country. So there's lots of different ways that you can kind of think about this so that things are equal, but maybe not exactly the same. Absolutely. So what companies have you worked with that have fully embraced this 87% who think family health benefits are important. When when you consulted with them, what, what was the gap and where did they fully embrace the family benefits? Did they actually tick off all the four things that you just talked about? Did they start slowly and maybe added one with the thought of adding another benefit six months from now? Because obviously, I'm sure a lot of our HR folks are sitting there saying, we know that we're in an economic downturn, high inflation, we only have so much money in our budget. So where would you recommend, or where did you recommend to a specific company, where should they start? And maybe what should they think about maybe shorter or longer term? Yeah. So I think, you know, the report really speaks to that while there are limitations, the top couple of things that you really want to think about investing in are parenting and pediatric support. I think that's kind of one of the most basic fundamental ones that let's invest here because that then kind of supports everything else. The second was around maternity and postpartum care and really setting up kind of the the journey to get to um, having a child in the right way. Um, thinking about global parity for health benefits mm-hmm. is actually, uh, you know, something that's really critical as companies um, are expanding the global footprint. You do need to invest there. Uh, reproductive health care, including menopause, is one that you don't see consistently, but it's something mm-hmm. that you, that employers are absolutely investing in, as well as fertility and family support. So those are kind of are probably the top five that I would say are the places that companies are prioritizing in 2023. When you talk to HR pros about their overarching strategy with regards to compensation, benefits, all of that, where do you think there is most hesitation with an employer to really start embracing some of these benefits? Because there's clearly a risk if they don't. But we talk to HR pros all the time, and I think their biggest barrier sometimes is convincing others internally that this is absolutely necessary. So are there any tips or tools? I know you've sat in the CHR, you sit in the CHRO seat now, you've sat in it in lots of growing companies. What are some some tips and tools that you could give to your to your peers that are listening to help them progress their benefits package to family benefits? 
Sure. So I think, you know, what we hear from most employers is that benefits need to be equitable and that you need to promote a culture of inclusivity and belonging and that it's key for retention and it's key for talent attraction. So I think one of the biggest tips is that one of the places that you can find you're going to be able to actually show some real-time data that's happening all the time is when you are in an active hiring market, which I am today, you're going to find candidates who are asking really detailed questions about benefits and evaluating benefit packages as part of their offer stage, especially when they're weighing competing offers. And so talent attraction becomes this other point where you can survey your current employees and you can get feedback on an ongoing basis there. And most people are going to be generally happy. They're going to have some questions and some concerns, but you're going to get some real-time data when you're going through the recruiting process. And over the last couple of years, this has become more and more of a question that you're hearing from candidates that they're actually deciding whether they want to join the company based on some of the answers around what the healthcare package looks like. So attracting mm. benefit programs can be a deciding factor. And that honestly is some of the real-time data that um, you're able to kind of show to leadership or to other folks internally to make sure that your budgets aren't being cut and that you're able to attract the right talent on a go-forward mm -hmm. basis. So that's one of the places where you're going to get some real-time feedback on whether or not your benefits are inclusive and thoughtful and whether their kind of current candidates are responding the right way. I love that because I don't think, I suspect a lot of our HR practitioners are making that connection, but it is real-time. It is real-time. And, you know, especially in, in competitive job markets, um, you know, in engineering and tech and in some very specific places where I wasn't hearing this as much a couple of years ago, this mm -hmm. now becomes a really hot topic where they're where candidates are asking really detailed questions and they know the right questions to ask too to evaluate whether your benefits are competitive and whether they're inclusive and whether they're going to be covered. Um, and so you know to me that's one of the signs. And so if you if you're not close enough to know, getting close with your recruiting team and making sure that you actually know what's happening day to day. And if we're losing candidates because of any of these questions or if they're even coming up in the offer stage or not, I would suspect that they are and you might not be aware of it. Are there any other tools that you would recommend the HR team employ to get a gauge for how their current employees think about their existing benefits? Because I think it's one thing to recruit them in and get feedback there, but what about your existing team? Yeah, so generally it is a best practice to do some type of survey um, surveying of your employees on at least an annual basis before you go through an open enrollment process. Some teams do it as part of, you know, a touch point in an engagement survey and kind of pulsing maybe twice a year. But whatever frequency you do it, um, it, it's important to actually hear from your teams and to hear what's working for them and what's not. And before or after you make a significant change to benefit providers, that's always a really good touch point to make sure you're getting input from the current team on kind of how, how the plans are actually serving them day to day. And if there's gaps. Absolutely. Is there any type of health plan that is emerging as a trend? So I remember back in the day, you know, you had your PPOs, then you had your HMOs, and then you had your more flexibility um, with some other types of plans. And then you had self-funded and you didn't have self-funded. And I think health benefits went through this incredible cycle over the last, let's say, 20 years. Are there any types of either benefits or structures of health benefits that you're seeing as kind of an emerging trend? I am not seeing an emerging trend, but I think it's the details of benefits kind of overall, but the details of what providers actually provide has become a trend that I've seen and that 
um, you know, it's really up to the, the function of HR, the benefits function to ensure that you're being really critical about the plans and making sure that they actually are inclusive for all employees. Um, and so that's where, you know, there's lots of decisions to make. It is a competitive market. And I think being very detailed with what's included in the plans and how it's actually going to serve your employee population is, is a trend where, um, you know, I've seen companies make changes to their benefit providers based on inclusivity. Um, so that feels like a theme. I wouldn't necessarily say mm-hmm. it's a trend, but it feels like a theme that I'm seeing that's talked about quite a bit in, in my channels. So I guess the other beauty too is if, you know, as I said, you've been a CHRO in a lot of growing companies, very, very successful uh, professional who help them grow. Obviously, you're bringing in top talent. I would think strategically that you would want to sit down as the CHRO and take a look at where the business is going and ensuring that all of your benefits, not just your health, is aligned to the group or the portfolio of people that you're bringing into the organization. Any thoughts based upon your experience on how you did that well? Sure. So I think at a, at a previous employer before I was at Maven Clinic, that was actually a real sticking point where um, you know, the benefit plans that we had, people were happy, but there was a subset of people who um, you know, went in and saw that these benefits aren't necessarily inclusive, that you have to have certain diagnoses in order to actually get fertility treatment. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't inclusive for our entire population. And so we actually made a change in providers because of that. It was a level of detail, which if you weren't really paying attention mm-hmm. and weren't really listening to employee feedback, you might not have caught. And it was also a pretty active decision to move everyone off of the current plan that we had that was working for most, but to actually move mm-hmm. to a plan that was inclusive for all. Um, and so I think being involved in that level of detail, which it could have created savings or not created savings, kind of determining mm-hmm. on the way that we did it, um, was probably an example of just being being successful because I was being really mindful of, of actual employee feedback that was coming in. Um, and that was feedback we were hearing from candidates. So I think kind of past experience has shown that you're going, this feedback is going to bubble up and actually paying attention to it and getting ahead of it um, is really important. And how did you find that information out? Was it from an annual survey or... It was from an annual, well, we did an annual survey because we were starting to get some feedback one off from specific employees. And so we actually conducted a survey to understand mm. whether this, wh- how widespread this was, how much of a concern it was, and then to understand our options, if we could make a change to our benefit providers and if it would be more inclusive if we did. So, um, but I think we did the survey because we were starting to get some specific feedback from a few employees and from a few candidates. And so now we have, we've talked a lot about kind of the, the, employee, the family health benefits, all of that. But we also have in some organizations, five generations of employees in the workplace at the same time. And so your point about inclusivity for everyone who all has, you know, a boomer has a different need and requirement than someone who is, you know, planning a family. So how do you strategically take a look at the, I guess, the demographics of your employee base to make sure that you're offering something to everyone that's needed? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, you know, what you want to do is when you're looking at plans, 
is there are some of these telltale signs whether plans are going to be inclusive to your whole population. Mm. And, you know, I've worked in a lot of growing tech startups that do kind of trend younger. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the main things that this report is showing is that it's not just about family planning and for folks who are parents or going to be parents, but it's it's really about um, how we think about, you know, caregiver support, how we think about um, mm -hmm. reproductive health support, how we think about menopause support. And so those things are touching all cycles of an employee's kind of health journey um, and that they're all meaningful to the workforce and that employers should continue to invest in all of these areas um, because the top family benefit priorities are kind of across that board, not just from, you know, the early stage of trying to become a parent and being a parent, but all the way through that journey. So, um, you know, and whether or not, your employee population maps exactly to that, you want to make sure that you're providing benefits that are inclusive enough that over the stage of an employee's journey or their families, um, they're being covered. So we've talked a lot about women within the workplace, and obviously that's how we teed it up at the very beginning, but I think it also begs the question about men in the workplace. And is there anything that's trending different for men with family benefits. Yeah, I'll just say that kind of Maven um, as a uh, brand, we serve an almost equal amount of men and women as part of our platform. Actually, 40% of Maven's clients are male. And so you see there's actually a large percentage of our population that is male and that is supporting a female and working with a female in this journey. So if I can, can I pivot just for a minute? Because we have you on this podcast. You have been this uber successful CHRO um, up to this point. I have no doubt that you're going to continue to be um, incredible at Maven Clinic. When you were sitting in that CHRO seat, let's say before, um, you had to establish a strong relationship with the CEO and others within the C-suite. Are there any recommendations or tips or tools that you would give to new CHROs who are just now getting that first seat at the table? It's all new. They're probably not feeling like they deserve to be there, that they should be there. I think we've all felt that way. Um, any tips or tools for them to help them be successful as they, as they sit in that new seat? Sure. Well, you know, I think for me, kind of knowing that you're partnering with CEOs, that you have to think about how much they own the business as part of their role and how deeply they care about the brand. Mm -hmm. And especially for founder CEOs, you know, they really are the brand. Mm -hmm. And so I've been really successful partnering with CEOs because I bring that same level of investment into the people strategy that they do into the business strategy. Mm -hmm. And when you prove that you really care, you can build that foundation of trust. Of course, it takes time. Um, but you have to do that in a way where you're continuing to kind of provide information, especially around things like benefits. Ultimately, a CEO should not be spending their time necessarily on benefits programs, right. and they really should be able to entrust the people team to provide options, informations, and strategies that you can focus on so that they can focus on running the business. Mm -hmm. But to get to that point, you really have to establish yourself as that thought leader um, where you understand the business. And that's one of the most critical things I always say is it is your responsibility to really understand the business strategy and hear what employees are looking for and, and have that pulse on what's happening at the organizational level so that you can package the information into a format where a CEO can really digest it and really value it. And you can partner together to talk through options. Yeah, because I think one of the biggest differences that occurs when you make that leap, and I don't know if you remember this from 
director level up to the C-suite is the difference between at the director level, you did have some latitude to propose and to progress the organization. But once you hit that C-suite, you are the it person that's supposed to help drive the organization forward. You're, you're no longer taking orders from anyone, maybe the CEO, uh, but, but they're looking to you to be, as you said, that thought leader to bridge the gap between the business strategy and the people and to make sure that the organization's cohesive and moving in the right, right direction. So from a strategy perspective, how involved were you or how important was it for you to be involved in either the making of the strategy or understanding the business strategy to ensure that you made that tie back to the people and not just benefits, but just everything to do with your people strategy? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I, I've also been kind of fortunate to actually wear a COO hat. And I think that actually had me, what I, what I thought as a HR professional, I was being really thoughtful about the business strategy. I think actually also being on the other side, both as someone who had to kind of take whatever programs and policies I was building in the HR world and actually roll those out as an owner. Um, but also just to really understand the business strategy and to be involved in the day-to-day execution in a different way, um, running operations really changed. It didn't change my perspective, but it really just kind of doubled down on, I really do need to understand the business strategy in order to execute thoughtfully on the people strategy. That's always been my approach, but I think actually also playing that role um, for a period of time, it gave me just an even deeper appreciation for how to do that and to do it well. Um, and the number one thing is to ask questions, right? Like you don't want to be sitting at that table and not know the answers, not know the acronyms, not know what a business is talking about. Um, I've just recently joined Maven. I've been here since December. And when you're going through that onboarding period, especially, or when you change roles, you want to make sure you really understand what's happening at the business level. And it's always better to ask the question whether, rather than to hold it. And I, you know, you want to take up space, you want to have a voice and you want to ask the questions that you think are important, even if it's just to make sure that you understand so that you can actually translate that into the people's strategy. So I think sometimes, especially as you're moving up in your career, you're hesitant to do those things. Um, but you have to make sure that you really see the full picture and you're connecting the dots so that you actually can translate that into the people's strategy. That is, I think, incredibly wise and so helpful um, as you were speaking The other thing that I think most don't know about at the C-suite level, or if you're in charge of HR, you don't have to be in the C-suite, is to identify those inflection points that are going to make a huge impact on your business, either positively or negatively. And I think that's why I was so excited for this conversation, because this research really says there's an inflection point going on in HR with our employees, here's how you can enhance your benefits in order to support that. Absolutely. There's definitely an inflection point. And I, you know, I think it's especially easy in this macro environment where things are not necessarily going well for all companies, where you see budgets being tightened and you think that that might mean it actually has impact. What the research is showing is that there are actually people need to be doubling down and really addressing or at least planning to address and increase family benefits over the next two or three years. So 
you know, I think if you are working for a company that currently does not offer comprehensive benefits, or even if you are working for a company that feels like it does, this is going to continue to be a critical factor to make sure that you continue to focus on family benefits, offer comprehensive and equitable benefits, and that if you don't, you are at risk for losing mm-hmm. current employees, and you're definitely at risk for losing talent as it, you know, as talent won't be attracted to your brand and to your company in the same at the same rate as they would if you were offering more inclusive benefits. How do you, as a CHRO, how do you stay in touch with what's occurring in the marketplace, in just in business in general, maybe within your industry, although sometimes your business is impacted outside your industry, inflation, um, economics, legislation. Are there any go-to places um, that you rely on to keep yourself current? There's, of course, the many different places that you can read and to and explore. But the number one thing that I think I do is that I'm constantly talking to people in my network. I'm talking to mm-hmm. other CHROs. I'm talking to board members. I'm talking to board members from past companies. We're having an active dialogue, whether it's you know a chat group or um, or an email group, and a lot of the VCs do a really helpful job with growing companies to connect and to create a network within their branded portfolios. And those networks are so critical and so important so that you have other people to bounce ideas off of to say, is this happening in the market? Is this happening for you? Is this unique to me? Usually it's not unique to your company. You're just kind of seeing it in a different order and a different scale. Um, but that's usually my kind of most trusted resources that I'm making sure that I'm talking to other people and bouncing ideas. You're in a very lonely seat as a, as a CHRO. You don't always have people that you can confide in and bounce things off of internally. Um, and so making sure that you have someone in your network and you have a network of people that you can speak to and that you can share resources and you're not constantly reinventing the wheel it has been one of the main things that I have invested in is those relationships that you're be able to speak to people and get information when you need it. Absolutely. Okay. So at the end of every podcast, we do this thing called rapid fire questions. So these are one sentence questions um, with one sentence answers, although certainly you have the latitude to to spend more than one (laughs) sentence answering them. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) All right, let's do this. So if you had 10 times the HR budget that you have now, what would you spend it on? So, of course, I would probably look at some additional family benefits, but I would say the main area that I would look at is learning and development and specifically management training for all leaders from the top down. This is not a one sentence answer, but from my experience, no, please keep going. Okay. From my experience, leadership and management training that actually includes coaching and putting leaders into cohorts so that they can build relationships and they can mm-hmm. talk about management skills outside of their day to day has paid back more than 10x, at least 10x. And it creates an unlock, honestly, where there's relationship building and people actually become friends with each other at the management level within a company. And that drives productivity, it drives engagement, it drives mentorship. Um, And on the flip side, it sometimes creates reflection where leaders realize this might not be the right role for me, this might not be the right company for me. And those realizations are also okay. So I think it kind of helps you do the work to Think about yourself as a leader. It helps you do the work to make a network of kind of managers that you can talk to. Mm-hmm. Similarly, how I was talking about my HRO network, you then have leaders that you can talk to throughout the company when you're having a challenging time with one of your employees or something's happening on your team. Um, so that's one of the things that I've invested in the past. 
that is not cheap. But if you do it the right way, the outcome and the return is so high. What's something everybody in your industry should stop or start doing? I think, you know, honestly, it's investing in families. We, you know, the more and more industries that are participating and realizing that women and family health is underserved, is tragically underserved, and that there's a real, real need for investment, um, employers that invest in working moms and dads are likely to retain them. And so Mm -hmm. the more you continue and start to do that, um, the more return you're going to see. If you were sitting next to a leading expert in your field, what would you ask them? I would ask them when's the last time they really checked in and listened to the needs of their employees and really created a place for an open dialogue. We need more of those open dialogues and more open exchanges of information so that you really know what the pulse and what the vibe is within your company and can action on it and be aware. What are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career? From a career perspective, I think one of the ones that I kind of, that always is in my head uh, often is uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because while the title sounds a little snarky, what it's actually about it at it does. its core, it does. Uh, to me, the, the book is actually about how you really assume good intent and be fair and thoughtful as a leader mm-hmm. um, and give people the opportunity to succeed. I think there's some social competency rules that were just kind of ahead of their time in the book that's, I think, about 80 years old. Um, And I've often suggested this book to managers who just need a core foundation around people management. So that's one that those, the principles of that book will, um, I I think of them every once in a while, but I actually think there's a really good intention behind that book as as snarky as the title sounds. It does. And it it really does now that you say that, but (laughs) it actually is a really good book. I recommend it all the time as well. What is your leadership mantra? Or when you think about a great leader, what do you skills do you think that they exhibit? I guess my mantra is a little silly, but there's usually a win-win or even a win-win-win situation. And so when you're in this role as a CHRO and you're trying to balance the business needs, the organization needs, the operational needs, and the people needs, sometimes one of those three things in that triangle is going to not be addressed. But typically, if you take a step back and you look, there is a way to address the business needs, the operational needs, and the people needs in every situation. There's usually a graceful way to handle each of those situations. Um, And I think that's my kind of trademark is trying to seem unflappable, even in really difficult situations, Mm -hmm. and trying to be calm and level-headed Um, and finding a way to the other side that's going to be the best thing for all parties and trying to have kind of a a thoughtful outlook on that. Um, That to me is really critical of good leaders is kind of having that judgment, the ability to not necessarily react in the moment to information or react in the moment to what's happening and to take a step back with calm and thoughtfulness before you respond and still, you know, with a bias to action. How do you re-energize yourself? (laughs) <laughs> for me, it's funny. Since now that I'm a parent, it's a very different answer than when it's I was so uh, I was a you know a single person in the workforce where you looked forward to those weekends to recharge. And with three with two children under five, I don't have that same recharge on the weekend that I used to have. Boy. So occasionally, it's yeah. actually taking a day during the week for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And and often those days 
or to connect with folks and friends who are colleagues that I've worked with before. Some of my closest friends or colleagues kind of that have come up with me throughout um, throughout the HR practice. Um, and and also just kind of, you know, last week we went on an exec leadership retreat and we all spent time together outside of kind of the day-to-day business topics and phones down, computers down. We actually just engaged and spoke and ate and drank and, and really enjoyed each other's company and built those relationships. That to me is really re-energizing as well. And so making sure that I'm taking the time both for myself, kind of in quiet time, and also to engage and really kind of make sure I maintain the relationships that are important to me is actually quite re-energizing. That's the the extrovert (laughs) showing up there. What's the main takeaway you want to leave with our listeners today? Sure. So that it's really clear um, that fertility and family benefits have become table stakes, the minimum entry point. And the shift we're seeing now is around maximizing the value of employer investment Uh, The data from the report is just showing how much employees crave more support from their employers. And, you know, this is something that we hope, you know, companies continue to invest in and that they follow through on the commitment that they're saying that they will have over the next two to three years. Absolutely. Where can people go to learn more about you and your company? Sure. So there's so much other data in our state of fertility and family benefits report. So I would encourage all the listeners to go to our website, download the full report, um, go to our website, which is babinclinic.com, and to visit us on social media, on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So today we have been joined by Kate Muzzotti, Chief People Officer at Maven Clinic. Kate, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to bertaaldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more Voices of HR.